My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Grand Valley Church, and we're a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope that this message helps you to explore faith and grow in your relationship with God. Good morning, and welcome here to Grand Valley Church Online. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm excited that you're here with us for another one of our online services. Today, we're continuing our series called I Am, where we're looking at a series of teachings that Jesus gave in the Gospel of John. But today, we've got a special treat for you with that. But before we get to that, I want to ask you to do something. If you have any questions about our church or questions about faith and you'd like to get in contact with us, or maybe you have a prayer request you'd like to share for myself and our prayer ministry to be praying for, would you click the link in the description below and fill out that form and it's the best way to get in contact with us and we'd love to be able to have a conversation with you about your questions or also to pray for you. And so the special treat that we've got today is that we have Sean Funk from Westman Youth for Christ is joining us by video and he's going to be taking us through the next teaching in this series that we're exploring together. Good morning. Welcome to Grand Valley Church here this morning. I'm honored to be here. My name is Sean Funk and I'm the U-Term Director with Westman Youth for Christ. It's an honor to partner with Pastor Brian this morning and bring to you and continue the series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Jesus describing himself in his own words. We find the I Am Statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. John is the most unique of the four Gospels. And he's writing to show Jesus' authority and divinity. He's incredibly intentional on how he lays out the book. Uh, he shows that Jesus is able to perform miracles or signs, starting with turning water into wine and then building on that and showing how Jesus was able to feed 5,000 from, from two loaves and, and fishes. And then from there, he's, he's healing a lame man and then showing Jesus' authority and divinity even beyond life itself by healing or by raising Lazarus, his friend, from the dead. And that's what Brian spoke about last week. And of course, when, when someone is going around doing these impressive things, showing authority and power even beyond life itself as we know it, that's going to create a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue. And, and John captures that. Part of this dialogue is, is Jesus saying, I am, and then giving a metaphor, a well-known metaphor in the language that the people would have understood to describe his authority, to describe his divinity. And, and the, even, even the I am statement is, is really interesting because in Exodus chapter 3, that's what God, uh, the God of the Israelites, that's what he calls himself. Exodus 3 verse 14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So today we're going to take a look into John chapter 14. And this is probably the, the most well-known I am statement of Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what did Jesus mean by that? Well, in order to get there, I think it's important to unpack what has happened that has led Jesus to this statement, that has led to him describing himself as the way, the truth, in the life. So that's where I want to go today. How many of you have had your summer plans interrupted? I know we certainly have. 
my wife and I and our three kids last summer went on a on a 80 hour road trip with our camper to Quebec City to attend a Youth for Christ National Ministry Conference. And we had, we had such a good time camping all the way there and the way back, seeing beautiful Lake Superior, spending time just in nature and enjoying each other and, and connecting with, with staff from across the country who, who we only get a chance to, to meet with once a year. And this summer we had, we had plans to go up to Saskatoon to do the same kind of thing, to, to attend the National Ministry Conference and do some camping. But of course, with COVID, like you, our plans have changed. And, and we're not sure what this summer looks like. And there's some separation there from the staff that we were able to meet. I want to propose that, that this time of COVID is where, where all of our plans are, are changed, where, where we don't know what to expect, and where we're, we're asked to stay separate from the ones we love in order to protect them is a little bit, just a little bit like what the disciples were experiencing when before Jesus said this I am statement. And some of us have had huge life changes, right? Like loss of employment, loss of jobs. We've had family members die and we're, we're unable to get together and celebrate their life. And that's, that, that's a big, big change. And that's kind of what the disciples are heading into. Last week, last week uh, Brian talked about how Lazarus was raised from the dead. And, and this happened in Bethany. So right after that happened, Jesus has a supper with, with his friends, with, with Mary and Martha and his newly resurrected friend Lazarus. And from there, they head into Jerusalem as what we know as Palm Sunday, where, where the people start recognizing that Jesus is this King, this Messiah, this Christ that has come. And, and they celebrate him as he, as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. But then Jesus starts, you know, doing something really unexpected. He starts foretelling his death, and he does this really publicly. He talks to the Jews and the religious leaders saying that he's going to go away, that he's going to die. And then during the Passover meal with his disciples, he says to them in John 13, verse 33, My children... I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So why is this so unexpected? We know that Jesus had to die and, and, and that he rose again. But why was this unexpected for the disciples and the Jews? Well, both the disciples and Jewish people, they were very familiar with the prophecies that, were, that, that explained or foretold the coming Messiah, or as we know it in the Hebrew, or Christ as we know it in the Greek. And both these words allude to an anointed one or a chosen one. And it was believed that this Messiah or Christ would be a strong and glorious king who would deliver and set up a great and independent Jewish kingdom. So in every generation since the prophecies, the Jewish people, the Israelites, believed that God would send a deliverer, a chosen and anointed deliverer. 
And in, and in the time of the disciples, it was believed that if this Messiah came now, they would, they would overthrow the Romans who were oppressing them, and that, that they would set up a new Jewish kingdom, kind of like in the time of David or Solomon. So the wise men, when they come to see Jesus, they're looking at these prophecies, and they say in Matthew 2, verse 1 and 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they meant that really literally, the king. And it was also believed that, that this king would be the descendant of David, because David was the greatest king in Israel, and he was the measuring stick of every other king that followed him. So in Matthew 22, verse 42, we read, you know, Jesus asking the Pharisees, what do you think of the Christ, or the Messiah in Hebrew? Whose son is he? And their response was, the son of David. So Palm Sunday, this going into Jerusalem, is kind of this pinnacle of what was expected. The disciples expected Jesus to become king. And now they see the crowds in Jerusalem expecting the same. Matthew 21 verse 9 says, The crowd is saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Or in John's words, the crowd is saying, Blessed is the king of Israel in John chapter 12 verse 13. But then Jesus starts foretelling his death. He's gone from Bethany to having the expectations reinforced in Jerusalem that he would become king, and then he forced, starts foretelling his death. And that's the setting that leads into Jesus' next I am statement. The disciples' expectations aren't going to be met. And that's going to mean a lot of uncertainty and separation. So the words here that Jesus speaks are meant to calm his disciples' anxiety and to prepare them for the unexpected. So what does he say? Well, let's turn to John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus starts by saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Take note of the word choice here, trust. We're going to come back to that at the end of the passage. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 2 through 5 or 4, In my Father's house are many, many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. It's kind of like priming. You know the way to the place I'm going, don't you? And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, Thomas here is always a realist, right? Thomas, at the, you know, after the death and resurrection, he's looking for the evidence that this is Jesus, that this is Jesus who has rose from the dead. So he's looking for the holes in the hands and the spear in the side. And, and Thomas asks the question that kind of Jesus seems to be priming him for. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? The word way here is really, really interesting and I think significant. See, the rabbis or the, taught that the law or the Torah 
was in Hebrew referred to as halakha. And halakha, if you translate it into English, it literally means the way that one walks or the path that one walks. So really what Jesus is saying is, is you know the path that one walks. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas is thinking that there's a destination, that there's kind of, you know, this idea of an eternal life. And, and if I follow this path that I will get there. But that's not what Jesus is referring to. Unfortunately, what had become of the law or the Torah or the religious rules, the 613 rules, was that it, it, they became an end to themselves. So, so the way, which was supposed to be this way of entering into dynamic relationship with God, it was supposed, the, the, the Torah or the rules were supposed to point to the author, they had become an end to themselves. And it became about human effort to obey the rules instead of entering into this dynamic relationship with God. And this is probably Jesus' biggest criticism of the Pharisees, if you look through the Gospels, that they had forgot the spirit of the law and replaced it with obeying the letter of the law. Following rules was hardly the way of God. It was not what God intended for his people or what Jesus meant when he answered Thomas's question. And then Jesus goes on to say something probably a little controversial. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So in a sense here, Jesus is saying, I am the new Torah. I am the new law. I am the way to God. Before you found the way to God through, through the law, now you find the way to God in relationship with me. Roxy Cavey talks a lot about has a line uh, that, or a quote that, that speaks really strongly to this idea of Jesus being the way and the truth. As we look at Jesus, study his teachings, and follow his examples, we are getting to know truth in embodied form. Knowing truth, therefore, becomes a relational act rather than merely a cognitive exercise. Truth is a person to be known not a collection of disembodied facts to be studied. And then Jesus goes on to say, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Here's Philip being his practical self, his logical, trying to make sense of, of Jesus' metaphorical statements. He's... he's uh, you know, Philip's the guy in, in the feeding of the 5,000 that, that said to Jesus, you know, this will cost more than half a year's wages. He's always trying to make sense of the impossible or, or what Jesus is trying to paint a picture of. So Jesus answers Philip and he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus is saying, you know, if I'm the way to the Father, and the Father is in me and I am in the Father, if you have, done, if you have relationship with me, if you dwell with me as I'm going to prepare a place for you, you know the Father. Trust me. Believe in that. Now, the interesting thing about the word believe here in verses 10 and 11, and the word trust in verse 1, is they are both translated from the same Greek word, pistuet. So pistuet in the New Testament, especially in John, is translated as both believe and trust. And to add further to that, if you look at the whole New Testament, the Greek word pistis is translated as believe and faith. So we have three English words here, believe, faith, and trust, all translated from two different Greek words, pistuet and pistis, that both had similar meanings, and they are faithfulness and trustworthiness. The thing is, the way we use believe and faith in our context today in 2020, often what we mean when we use those words is like a mental ascent to a set of truth claims. It's like right thinking about what the Bible says. So we've, we've kind of in, internalized this message that, that having salvation or being a Christian is about being certain or convinced about the informational content of the gospel. But that's just one dimension of the Greek words, pistuet and pistis. Mental assent is good and fine, but it must be combined with a trust or reliance on Jesus and his work. Peter Entz is a, is a Bible scholar I love to read and follow, and he says, belief and faith are content words. They're what words. What follows belief and faith are, are content, information, that we mentally assent to. But trust is a who word. Trust is a relationship word. So what Jesus is saying here is that you know, in times of uncertainty, in times of separation, the way to the Father is through dynamic relationship with Him. Not about believing the right set of circumstances, or not only that. So I would encourage you, as you read through the New Testament, and as you run into the words belief, and as you run into the words faith, that you would, in your mind, add the words and trust. Because that gets to the heart of the writer's intention for those words. So verse 11 would, re would read, Believe and trust me when I say that I am in the Father, 
and the Father's in me, or at least believe and trust me on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So the disciples are heading into a time of uncertainty, of separation, of chaos. Jesus is going away. They don't know what's happening. Their expectations aren't going to be met. And what Jesus says is, trust me, I am the way to the Father. As you head into times of uncertainty, as your expectations change, as you are separated from the ones you love, whether it's in COVID for a time, or in death, who do, or what do you believe? Or maybe the better question is, what does your faith look like? Or the best question to ask is, where does your trust lie? As you go into this week, contemplate that. Where does your trust lie in uncertainty? Thank you for allowing me to be with you today. It's been an honor to partner with Pastor Brian in this series. I trust that you will trust God as you move forward through this week. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Our Sunday services are online only, streaming at 11 a.m. on YouTube. You can find out more about our church by going to mygrandvalley.ca or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.